long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. You're listening to Star Wars Beyond the Films, the official expanded universe podcast of StarWarsReport.com. There is a great disturbance in the Force. That's right, Whistler. Welcome to episode 76 of Star Wars Beyond the Films, your Star Wars discussion podcast, your ticket to the EU. Our episodes broadcast on the Star Wars Report website, www.starwarsreport.com. Episodes can also be found on iTunes and right on our own Facebook page at SWBeyondFilms. But enough about how you got here. Let's get this show started. I'm one of your hosts, the defender of the EU, the champion of the multiverse, Mark Herleman. And with me, like the moments that make you fist pump in any Star Wars project, the EU guru himself, the Count of Continuity, Mr. Nathan P. Butler. Hello, everyone. Mark, what are we talking about this time around? Here at Star Wars Beyond the Films, we always ask those tough questions, questions that have bothered you for a long time, or the simple ones that have perplexed you off and on. You ponder about Star Wars, and so do we. This episode, we ponder our top, nay, our favorite moments in our Star Wars Expanded Universe. Consider this your spoiler warning, Beyonders and Sentients of All Ages, because here we go. And now, the continued adventures of... Star Wars Beyond the Films. Another one of mine, actually, um, is another tale, though, of this whole thing where you've got a character thinking they can defeat evil from the inside and sort of losing themselves and having to be brought back, and that is the original Dark Empire. Um, I really enjoyed the original Dark Empire back in 91 and 92. Um, It really did a lot of, of good, I think, for sort of giving us the sense that even Luke could fall to the dark side and giving Leia and Han a more heroic role in trying to redeem him, in a sense, by the end of it. The fact that they brought Palpatine back, yeah, it was kind of cheesy and kind of cheap, but once he's back, it sets everything in motion for Luke's character. I know that's a big sticking point for a lot of people. And yes, it was a comic series. It was constantly being referenced in the novels, but it wasn't a story that was from the novels, so yes, it did confuse people. And yes, it had that weird... Uh, magenta slash purple slash green slash blue slash uh, bright yellows artwork um, by Cam Kennedy that was a little off-putting at the time. Jarring. Course, but this is one that I've reread over and over and over again. And this is definitely a case of, and I think I mentioned this on our show about the disappointing stuff, this is definitely a case of adding more to this really brought down the overall arc. If they had left it at Dark <laughs> Empire 1, it would have been great. Dark Empire 1 was really good, and the audio dramatization of it is really good. Again, one of the things that stick in my mind more than almost anything else is that moment where Luke gives in and joins the Emperor in Dark Empire, where in the audio drama, he drops the, yes, my father's destiny is my own. And you hear the lightsaber cla- uh, uh, clatter uh, on the ground, and then uh, Palpatine is laughing and such and whatnot as it goes to the music. A great, great scene. Um, but as soon as you add Dark Empire 2 to it, it's, oh yeah, the Emperor's back. Again. And here's all this other stuff you didn't really care about. And here's Executor Sedgus who we don't really care about. And here's, you know, we're just going to put them all through the, their paces again. And oh, hey, 
let's bring in Empire's End that's uh, compressed, kind of meh, just like Dark Empire 2, but let's make the artwork worse so that Empire's End has very little redeeming value other than just seeing uh, uh, Anakin Solo as a baby. Uh, really well, should have stopped at six issues instead of going for 14. I, I think the only thing good out of that continuation is the aspect, okay, Palpatine comeback. That's a huge issue for a lot of fans. Uh, I was able to get around it because to me, that just made him that much more evil. Okay. You can't kill the sucker. He's got a bunch of clones. And then, then you're like, okay, well, we'll kill him again. Oh no, he's got multiple cloning facilities. It's like, oh, good Lord. And, and that, poses the question I've had for a long time is when did he start? How long has he been cloning? When has he been swamping bodies and all, and all that, you know, I mean that aspect of the clone to Palpatine almost made him immortal. It was like, Whoa, how long has he been doing this? Like he can travel from body to body. You can kill a body. I mean, it gave him an Ableth feel, you know, I mean, before Ableth came around, uh, that, that I think was what made Ableth such a scary character. It's like, okay, you can kill her, but she's going to jump from one body to the other. I, and I can't remember which book or role-playing game or whatever it was. But there was one that they explained that when the Death Star blew up, the second Death Star, that Palpatine's spirit lashed out and found one of his Imperial hands. I believe it was uh, an Asriel or something like that. And he basically lobotomizes the guy and takes over his body, like what he tries to do to uh, infant Anakin later. And then he uses the body to travel to Biss, where he's got the rest of his clones and all that. But... Uh, you know, the premise of Dark Empire always appealed to me. I, the delivery wasn't always so great, but the fact that Luke went dark, uh, the tops trading cards for this series, I, I, I have a whole bunch of them still to this day that I use as bookmarks. They're just glorious, glorious covers. Uh, and Leia, I think that was one of her crowning moments was where she was able to redeem her brother and the way that all played out. And the little subtleties there were like Luke sent R2 with her with all the data that he needed, but had a force illusion of himself. And he's like, well, I'm not really with you. And then he disappeared and she realized that Luke was still on the planet and they had to go back for him again. I was like, oh, man, I, I just there was a lot of really cool things about that that I liked a lot. Uh, another one going to, you know, enhancing movies, you know, you called it the Stover effect. Uh, in this case, I will call it the Lucino effect. And that was with the book that was canceled, I believe, twice. Uh, Darth Plagueis. Uh, it was a book that wasn't supposed to be, you know, canceled and yet... Lucino still wanted to do it and they kept him and Hong fans really wanted to see the book and it finally came out and it for me made episode one have a whole new relevance scenes there where you watch Maul and and Palpatine talking you just expect it to kind of pan over and there's Darth Plagueis I everything about the movie the Phantom Menace that I thought I knew once I read Darth Plagueis and watched it again, I realized I didn't know half of what I thought I did. And I love it when that Lucas keystone of his creativity plays and plays well. Uh, you know, Lucas is always good about throwing things at us and, and unlearn what you have learned. Think you know this? Well, you don't. And when the EU is able to do that and, and make it work like they did in this case, oh, it's fun. I really get a kick out of when it's done right. And I really felt that Lucino did it. He did a good job. Uh, Darth Plagueis was a really fun read. There were times where, you know, if you hadn't read anything else, it could get a lot confusing because there was a lot of references. But at the same time, there were references that I wasn't even catching. So it's like, I think it depends on how you go at it as to whether or not you're going to like that or not. Because like, there were so many coming at me, I didn't even realize I was missing half of them until later. And I was talking to other people and they're like, did you catch this one? I was like, oh no, I didn't even know that one. And I was already like, man, there's a lot of references here. 
yeah, the Darth Plagueis novel was on my list as well. It's it's such a good book for just being able to pull together a lot of stuff. Um, there are moments where you're kind of scratching your head trying to make sense of a couple of chronological references that are in there, but it worked very well to try to bring everything together, hence us taking so much time to cover it here on the show. I mean, it definitely uh, changes the way you look at, if not the prequels, uh, then at least The Phantom Menace. Uh, it, it does add depth to what you see. You kind of expect in certain scenes to see a Plagueis back there in the background. Uh, speaking of ones that change the way we see things, uh, this was going to be kind of controversial, I'm sure, because there are some people who absolutely hate this, but I really enjoyed it, and that is The Force Unleashed. Um, I really, really enjoyed the story of Starkiller and the way that they brought things together to try to give us an early origin story for the Rebel Alliance. We'd already got a little bit with the Corellian Treaty and whatnot, but never really got a chance to see it in much detail. There they took it, tweaked a couple of bits of it, and were able to put it together, leaving only that question of, okay, wait a second, how do they, you know, already know that the Death Star is out there? What the hell? And whatever happened to Starkiller? Um, at the end of the first movie, of course, they leave it with him dead and gone, or the first game. But by the second game, we've got the clone running around, and there's the question of, you know, well, what happens to him? That's one of those things where the way they ended it didn't turn out so well because there should have been a third story or a third uh, game to try to wrap it all up. But from a gaming perspective, as, as a Star Wars fan, that is my favorite Star Wars gaming experience. It's one of the first times I really felt like I was playing through a Star Wars film in a lot of ways. Um, really, really well done stuff. And, and I really got to feel for the Starkiller character. Uh, to the point where, probably because of how I felt uh, connected to the character in the first game, in the second game where you got the, uh, you've taken everything from me, just completely goes over the top, and I'm like, oh, I'm going to kill that mother, you know, um, when you get to that point of the game. So, I don't know. Uh, it, it did introduce some continuity uh, head scratchers that have been mostly ironed out, um, but I think that, you know, just just narrowed on down to just, is this a good thing or a bad thing for Star Wars? I think it is a really good thing. It was a, a hell of a game and uh, introduced some characters that I like and kind of wish we would see again in some form, at least to give an end to their story. And, and you know, we were talking about this on the last episode because for me it was a disappointment, but for reasons that are kind of selfish. I mean, I had expectations or there was a lot of really good potential there that I felt like they could have gone other ways and really nailed it on. But I like the story. The the Rebel story, the fact that it was his family crest that they ended up using as the Rebel logo, awesome. Uh, the, the fact that they were cloning a Jedi and that aspect of it, awesome. I love anything that ties into the cloning. Now, I really, and I said this in our last episode, I really thought Starkiller should have been a clone of Anakin or Palpatine, that, that, that they were trying to perfect a clone of, of a new body for Anakin or a, or, you know, Palpatine starting his clones. And this is the program that we're watching as he's trying to perfect cloning force sensitives. Cause we know that it's a flawed science when it gets into those midichlorines and cloning them. Uh, and, and so that aspect, it's still not quite fleshed out in the terms of cloning from what we see in dark empire and other stories and stuff like that, they don't all quite line up in the timeline of why this isn't working yet. It was working back in the past and not in the future. And, and it's just so convoluted with so many different systems, variations, so many different character opinions. You can't clone a Jedi. Oh, apparently we can. That, that was a little hard. And I really thought that they could have done a lot there 
to solidify that kind of stuff. And they still could if they ever did a, a third one, because the Vader capture, that was my biggest fail. It's like, come on, I hate it when you have a story that ends in a spot where it can't end, and then you have no other story to come and wrap it together. If they came back and wrapped that up and found a way to tie in more of what's been going on with clones and cloning and cloning of Jedi and gave us an authoritarian point of view to kind of give us the retcon that we need, that would be just glorious, and I would absolutely love this series uh, hands down across the board. Uh, but, you know, as I said in the last episode, there were a little few things there that, that kept it from being something I enjoyed as much as, as you, good sir. Uh, other ones uh, for me, you know, and I said I, Jedi and Star by Star are my favorite two books. Uh, but I, Jedi is one of it, – it, it is the top book. It, it takes – it just slightly higher than Star by Star, but I don't call Star by Star my second favorite book, even though technically it is. I, I rank them the same because I love them both. But I, Jedi is – my favorite of the two it's a first person point of view Coran Horn is wakes up his wife kind of screams out help and disappears and he knows she's gone he's got to find her so Luke talks him into doing his Jedi training getting that taken care of and finishing that so he can use those skills to find his wife well if you've read the Jedi Academy trilogy that whole trilogy takes place in the first half of this book you find out the Coran goes there as Kieran uh, Halcyon, his old ancestor's uh, name, and he's posing as just a regular run-of-the-mill people that are trying to learn, and you didn't know he was there the whole time. And and they, they give you things from a new point of view, because now you're seeing it from Koran's point of view, and you know you watch everything that happened in that, all happened in the first half of the book, and then Koran's like, you know, this isn't really for me. I was once an investigator. I'm going to go and I'm going to follow those routes, and I'm going to go back to that. And then he goes off and does a pirate thing, uh, you know, and Koran kind of has this like every man's, I don't know, there's a, there's this aspect of him that reminds me of the pig aspect of men. You know, I mean, like you can love a woman unconditionally, but a hottie walks by and, and you may glance a little and look. And Koran wasn't above that. There were temptations thrown at that man. And even though he did the right thing in the end, he was tempted. And I, and I think that's one of the things about the character that appeals to me, even in the New Jedi Order, when he fight shy he goes to the dark side he gives in to his temptations and i don't know that that amount of realism to that character was something that i always liked it it, it just jumped right in on that and i it was appealing to me uh you know whistler he's my droid there's a reason for that you know i love coran horn i say i really like the idea of telling stories where you sort of get the glances of other tales and see things kind of happening between the scenes and what i think that the same thing that made i jedi a fun read with in relation to the Jedi Academy trilogy is the same thing that makes uh, uh, Darth Plagueis work with so many other stories that it helped tie together, just the idea of, of bridging things. Speaking of bridging things, uh, another one on my list, the original Thrawn trilogy. I mean, hands down, uh, the novel series that I have reread the most. Um, three novels, Heir to the Empire, Dark Horse Rising, and The Last Command, as if I really need to tell people that, um, that brought Star Wars back in a lot of ways uh, in 1991, 92, and 93. It's a, a three, we usually say, you know, the Thrawn trilogy, 1991. Well, it's actually just Heir of the Empire was 91. They, the books were about a year apart. That was the one that gave us so much. I mean, it gave us Thrawn. It gave us Mara. It gave us um, Han and Leia being married. It gave us the twins, Jason and Jaina. It gave us the New Republic and just on and on and on. All these different things that it created and for really decades to come 
writers were building off of the foundation that had been laid in that novel series. And the novels did a great job, especially the first first one and the last one, did a great job of capturing the feel of the Star Wars films, the pacing of it, the sending characters off in different directions, but eventually they will wind up finding that their missions coincide. Uh, all that kind of stuff went very, very well uh, in Zahn's writing of the book. I will say, and I've said this plenty, that he was uh, one of the best Star Wars writers of all time during the Bantam era. And then came the Del Rey era. And then he winds up putting out what I think of as kind of drivel, um, which would be uh, Allegiance, Choices of One, Survivor's Quest, Outbound Flight, that are all either way over the top in size compared to what they need to be, very self-indulgent, turns his characters into superheroes, makes everyone else inept, um, just did not work until Scoundrels. And Scoundrels really is starting to get back to that same kind of feel for him. The way that he captured Han in the Thrawn trilogy and... Uh, to an extent, in the Hand of Thrawn duology, he's been able to do again in Scoundrels that went much better. Um, ironically, I don't know if I mentioned this on the show before or not, you may remember that except for like one year, I'd gone to Con Carolinas in June every single summer since like 2004. I was at Con Carolinas constantly on Star Wars panels, doing a, uh, panels about uh, uh, writing and whatnot and that sort of thing. And just having a blast, but over the years, it started to kind of fade. Not as many people that I knew were going to the thing, because a lot of them had to come from out of state. The economy took a and that didn't bode well for a lot of people being able to make the trip and whatnot. And eventually this year, uh, it's now under new management. And there seems to have been some pretty ugly stuff a while back with the transition in management. I don't know anything about what happened. All I know is it's under new management. And I was already starting to think that maybe... I would be done with Con Carolinas because it was a trip that uh, Jody and I took last year. I don't know that she had as much of a good time as I did, and I wasn't sure about other people showing up that I knew from far away. So it was just kind of a meh, you know, why make the trip? Why spend all that money, especially with the wedding coming up in a couple of weeks? Because Con Carolinas is actually going on as we record this. Um, but the writer guest of honor at Con Carolinas this year was Timothy Zahn. And he had one, he had at one time been scheduled to be the guest of honor at a Con Carolinas in the past, and then he bailed. And you would think that with Timothy Zahn being there as the writer guest of honor, this would have been the year I'd been dying to go because it's a big-name Star Wars author being there uh, to possibly do an interview with, to discuss things with, to possibly moderate a panel with, and that sort of thing like I've had a chance to do in the past. And no. Despite the fact that Scoundrels turned out to be so much better, I didn't want to because... I was, if I were to interview Timothy Zahn, if I were to have a chance to ask him questions at a place like Con Carolinas, it would have been questions like, what the hell happened? Where did, when did you go from what you say in the 20th anniversary edition with the annotations of Heir to the Empire, how what makes Star Wars great is all these characters have a chance to shine, that there's great characters, you can, in, you can have strong characters from the films and strong characters from the EU. Where did that go? We decided to make Mara into frickin' Wonder Woman and turn uh, uh, Han and Luke, in a lot of ways, and say choices of one into basically two parts of the Three Stooges. Um, what frickin' happened? Uh, do we need a Survivor's Quest, et cetera, et cetera? I would probably—oh, and, and my favorite one—oh, God, <laughs> what is the name of that story? The stupid-ass story um, oh. where it was—you um, it was. You know what the whole point of the story is? It's how Lando got one of the AT-ATs for underneath— a nomad city on Naklan back in the Thrawn trilogy. Uh, Buyer's Market or something yeah, like that. Yeah, Buyer's Remorse, ain't it? 
because buyer's remorse for buying that issue of Insider, I don't think <laughs> it's the title of the story. But just, you know, I would have I would have been forced to, instead of necessarily asking just about the stuff that I really, really enjoyed, because, man, his stuff during the Bantam days was terrific. Uh, it would have been, dude, what the hell are you doing? Were you replaced by a clone? Did you get hit on the head at some point when Del Rey took over and only took you recently to recover? Because the man went from being the king of Star Wars writing to being uh, the the overindulgent. He he went from being someone who is like a, I'd say a, I don't know, a Tommy Lee Jones, a Samuel L. Jackson, a uh, Morgan Freeman, in the sense of being someone whose body of work merits the kind of praise heaped on him to for a while there with Del Rey being more like a Paris Hilton, a Kim Kardashian. Someone who's famous just because they're famous. They're not famous for a reason. Or they're famous because of something that is so long ago. It almost turned Zahn during the Del Rey era until Scoundrels into one of the people you would expect to see on one of those VH1 reality shows. Um, Surreal Life or whatever it was, I think that it was called, <laughs> where it's like these these washed up, used to be famous people, used to be known for good stuff, who don't quite realize that their glory days are over, being put onto television. I'm glad, I love the fact that he has ramped things up with uh, Scoundrels, and I really hope to see more of that quality level, because we need a Thrawn trilogy era writing style version of Zahn back in the game. It really brings a lot of life to Star Wars tales. But please... Please make sure he does not backslide into the mess. But I think we've now covered that, I guess, in a couple episodes. <laughs> well, and, and again, I, I like the mess. I, 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 I agree he needs to balance it, though. Uh, you know, I, I liked books that focused on George Cardass, a lot of his characters. Uh, you know, Thrawn was so awesome that it, it sucked to see him go. I really kind of hoped that they were going to play with the, the Thrawn clone. I, I thought that would have been a great idea. I know everybody's like, ah, oh, too many clones. It's like, come on. Star Trek has transporters. Do you do you complain that they're transporting them to another planet? No, it's their gimmick. Clones is a Star Wars gimmick. You can never have enough clones or Sith. I'm sorry. Can't happen. <laughs> uh, but I, I like the Mary Sues. Um, yeah, if it becomes a, all you're ever getting, it becomes an issue. I mean, Karen Travis fell on the same issue there. Uh, but I, I at the same time, I like to have characters that I enjoy. I, I'm going to liken it to music. I like the Red Hot Chili Peppers. My sister hates them. Why does my sister hate them? Because every song, every album always sounds the same. To me, I like that. I know what I'm getting. It's the same similar sound. Not all of them sound the same to me, but to her, they all sound the same. But I love that. It's the style of the music I like. I'm getting it for that reason. Same thing with Linkin Park. You know, even when they change up their stuff, they don't change it up by much. I'm still getting the same style of music. That's what I kind of came to with Zahn. I saw it like that. I would agree on the whole music thing, except it's much more like... It's like the, the debut awesome album was the Bantam Years, and then it's it's like one of those those groups where the first album's awesome, but the other ones afterwards just never seem to live up to the greatness of that first one. And then about five albums down the line, they get one that really you know rocks again. One of my favorite music. Oh, like groups. Ace of Base. I have, I didn't know Ace of Base was even bad. <laughs> um, I mean, it reminds me in a lot of ways of say a uh, uh, gosh, uh, Good Charlotte. They had some really good stuff, then later some really good stuff, and in the middle kind of, yeah, like the river and whatnot. Um, but it's very much sort of a, a a falling back on the tried and true. Sometimes it feels like you're just going through the motions. That's what, to me, Allegiance, Choices of One, uh, Outbound Flight, and uh, uh, what's the other one? Survivor's, Survivor's Quest. Quest. Yeah. Uh, that's what they feel like to me. It felt like it was a, well... 
I'm being hired because my name is recognizable for Star Wars stuff, and people are going to buy it because my name is on it, so I can just kind of go through the motions with these stories. They didn't feel like they had the heart that the other stuff did. But again, I digress. You uh, you had mentioned Travis. Uh, that's yeah. another one on your list? Yeah, Travis. Well, in this case, you know, she she did similar. Uh, she kind of caged herself in a corner using her own characters. But again, I got to that point where if they were characters I liked, go for it, you know. And I think that's I think that's where me and you differ when it comes to Zahn. Was most of the characters he was repeating, I was enjoying. Um, but when it came to Karen stuff, the ones I really enjoyed the most were True Colors and Triple Zero. I think like at that point, what was going on with Clan Scarada and his clones and everything, that was the most exciting. It was like okay, things were really building up to a heat. Hadn't quite got to the point where they were really starting to repeat themselves. Uh, you know, there was a lot of events going on. You see Delta Squad in there, Omega Squad. I, I just, I really liked that part of her overall series. By the time we got to those books, oh no, it's like the star by star and dark journey up to Destiny's way of New Jedi Order for those. It was at the stride. I really enjoyed the pacing. I enjoyed the character interactions. I liked all the hookups. I, I can't help it. I guess I'm a shipper. I don't know. Yeah, that definitely was the high point of her stuff. I really, really liked Karen Travis's stuff. She's another one where if she had just stopped at Order 66 or maybe just stopped at True Colors or give us maybe something that to wrap things up a little bit better instead of Order 66, it would have been great. It's that Imperial Commando stuff that went when it all fell apart and just told the same things over and over again. Um, but I think I mentioned last episode, True Colors, Triple Zero, great novels. I like the fact that it shows a Star Wars military situation that is a much more military style of fighting. That it's not just, well, it's it's war because there's starfighters and, and battle vehicles and stuff and people are getting shot with blasters. She really kind of gets into the nitty-gritty of the technology, of the, uh, the hand signals and whatnot. Makes it feel like this actually is a military. Something that honestly no other Star Wars author has ever been able to capture in quite the same way. Not even the Clone Wars cartoon series has been able to capture it, though it is nice to see that the Clone Wars cartoon series by its end had a few times to start questioning some of the same stuff that uh, she was bringing up within the books. I'm one of those who like the yeah. fact that she questioned the Jedi and that they're always necessarily good because Great. she was willing to, you know, she was willing to buck conventional wisdom to explore a point of view that must exist in that type of universe and yet hadn't really been explored. Um, well, and, and I, it irks me that she gets so much flack in the aspect of, okay, she didn't make herself the self-proscribed authoritarian on The Mandalorian. She was asked to do one project after another. I mean, she got to write the novelization for The Clone Wars even, and then they go and and just did what they did. Granted, that wasn't the whole reason exactly why she left, but that was such a slap in the face of fandom. Uh, you know, the aspect of you've got all these great projects that are working. It's creating Fandalorians. You've got this whole new contingent of fans that are enjoying the heck out of this. And then you're going to go ahead and, and turn them all into pacifists. It worked in the end, but the way they went about it created so many fandom conflicts that did not need to be. That was a very irritating low point. Uh, that just it's something I, I feel like I had to throw out there. Uh, another one I'm going to kind of jump back into the, the, the future again is uh, Apocalypse. Uh, there is a moment at uh, page uh, 493 or so. It's in chapter 33. Luke's just got done fighting Ableth, and uh, you know he's in the lake of apparitions. Uh, the water was neither warm nor cold nor still roiling. It simply was. Beyond time and sensation, beyond fear or destiny or duty, it embodied surrender and attainment, death and immortality. 
and Luca never felt more ready to slip below its dark surface and join his beloved Mara to wrap himself in her liquid embrace and let the depths of eternity wash away the anguish of his wounds, the ache of his lonely despair. But something would not let him sink. He lay on the water for a time, for a minute, hurt and exhausted, watching Abelus' pale form vanish. Her eyes were empty and dark, her tentacles curled into loose balls. Her golden hair was fanned about her head in a floating halo. She did not seem to be sinking so much as merely shrinking. Luke continued to watch as she dwindled to the size of a thigh, a foot, a finger, then a mere sliver, then seemed to hang below him, wavering and flickering before it finally slipped from sight. And still, Luke did not sink. He was too weak to rise, and he could feel nothing of himself except the aching void Ableth had torn in his chest. It occurred to him that he might well be dying, and it was not a thought that had brought him any fear. Even if his life had not been as long as Yoda's, it had been a good one, filled with close friends and loved family. He had been of small service, at least, to his fellow sentient beings, and in the new Jedi Order he had rekindled a light that had once gone out in the galaxy. He had few regrets for anything he had done. And if the time had come to let another Jedi carry the torch, he was ready. Not yet, Skywalker. The voice was warm and familiar. It came from beside Luke. He turned to find Mara's face breaking the surface of the water. Then he saw a hand gripping the back of his biceps and realized that she was floating beneath him, preventing him from sinking. It's okay, Mara, Luke said. I'm ready. I want to be with you. Too bad. He felt his upper body rising as she tried to push him upward. I don't want to be with you. Not here, not yet. What? Luke asked, feeling more confused and resentful. Mara, I'm wounded. Badly. Abbas took something out of me. She wounded him, too. Mara's other hand rose out of the water and pointed past Luke's head toward the tattooed Sith, who happens to be Krayt, who had helped Luke kill Abbas. The stranger was on his feet, limping towards the far shore with both hands clutched to his chest. If he can do it, so can you. And, you know, it goes on from there and we see that Jason comes up and Jason tells him that Krayat was the one on the throne and that I don't really care for. But the fact that Mara wouldn't let Luke die, Luke was ready to give up, to turn tail, to surrender himself to the force. And Mara's like, no, Skywalker, you're not ready yet. And 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 kind of goes after his pride and ego. You know, <laughs> that sits over there getting up and she took a lot off of him. What the hell are you doing, boy? I, I just I don't know. When I got to that moment, I was crying. That was that was just. You know, I, I was not ready for Mara to go. Uh, and so the way that they used the Lake of Apparitions to bring her and Anakin and Jason back, that was brilliant storytelling. I thought, you know, that's a location I would love to see them kind of do something with, whether the Jedi decide to take ownership of it and guard it or if they decide to destroy it. Something along the lines needs to be done. It can't be just something just left there. Um the fact that it's all in the Maw, the Jedi kind of have taken possession of the Maw in a sense that they put one of their secret academies there during the New Jedi Order. So I kind of like, you know, feel like they have to take possession of this sector of space and police it. Because, you know, I mean, a Abloth is a very strong entity and the threat of Abloth and what she did is still present. So I don't know. The, 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 the font of power, the throne of balance and the lake of apparitions are all places that in my mind are a huge threat. And so, you know, it, I liked all of how that worked out in the book. It was really fun and I enjoyed it. Yeah. The way that ends worked pretty well. That scene with uh, Luke and Mara was one of the better scenes in the entire series. Uh, same with uh, the moment in which we see uh, Vestara 
basically make the same mistake that uh, that Jason does at the end of Betrayal, where she's trying to keep to the light side, but she kills someone out of personal gain of what she actually wants for herself, and it makes us realize that her dark side path is not one that's going to end. I will say for those who are going to read Crucible that uh, uh, it's that the after effects of the battle with Abeloth are not going away. The gaping wound that Luke took is taking some out of him. Um, you know, it's an interesting way of looking at a less powerful Luke to an extent, uh, and yet in some ways more powerful than uh, he ever was when we see Ooh. Crucible finally. It's a it's a pretty good one. Now speaking. Uh, of of uh, kind of good ways of bringing things together and whatnot from a series, uh, this is one that's probably going to cause some people to be like, no, because of the elements that are in it. I would say the so-called shadow conspiracy episodes of Clone Wars season five and the the end of Ahsoka, uh, those elements from the latter half or so of season five of Clone Wars to me are some great great Star Wars storytelling. I mean, yes, they had to bring Maul back to do it. Yes, we had to have Ahsoka to be able to do it. And yes, they revamped the Mandalorians in order to do it. But putting aside that and just the fun of Star Wars viewing and storytelling, um, the, the ability to finally bring together Maul, Savage, all the Mandalorian stuff, Black Sun, the Huts, uh, all these different elements, uh, Death Watch, all back together and give us this huge knockdown, drag out, butt kicking, uh, battle series of episodes that has so many characters falling was terrific uh, for the Shadow Conspiracy stuff. That's the Maul and Black yeah. Sun and such episodes of that season. Um, one of the best film battles that we ever see in Star Wars uh, in terms of hand-to-hand -hand battles is the one between Pre Vizsla and Darth Maul. And then we get the, the great moment of Satine's death and the way that Obi-Wan reacts to it. Um, terrific arc. And then again, the latter arc with Ahsoka, yes, they had to change the Barazafi character. It would have been nice if it had been somebody else. But to finally see why Ahsoka leaves the Order, to give some, some ending to her character and the, and the sheer emotional impact of the last conversation between her and Anakin and, and her, I know, the realization that, yeah, she's not blind. She does know about Anakin and Padme, and she doesn't care. She's kept his secret and so forth. Such an amazing... Uh, couple of, of story arcs from that season. Yes, there are big continuity ramifications coming out of it, and in some cases they are trying to wrap up some elements of continuity complications. We now mm -hmm. have a situation where Mandalore could wind up being back to where it should be uh, in our way of thinking about it. The same thing with Ahsoka now being gone. It makes sense for her to be gone in some of these future stories and such. Um, mm -hmm. uh, such a great season overall, minus the annoying arc with Gascon that I mentioned in our last episode. Um, certainly a high point for that series, and I hope that the stories that we get with Rebels are going to be of a level equivalent to those two specific arcs of Clone Wars Season 5, because they really did a good job capturing the Star Wars feel and yet giving us new things to care about. Absolutely. I mean, The Lawless was such a great episode. Um, and, and for me, sticking with Clone Wars, uh, all the, the carnage of Pong Krell, uh, all that arc was great. It kind of got into the uh, Karen Travis aspect of of dealing with the clones and what it is to follow orders, things like that. Uh, there was a lot of really good stories, a lot of really good battles in the Clone Wars. You know, yeah, that's got to be on the list. You can't you can't not look at it. I mean, there was just way too much good stuff going on. And by the time you got into the fifth and fourth seasons, especially, you had so many plot lines that were running from the earlier ones that they were able to take and, and use an element from this and an element from there, a character from here. It, it all played very well together. Um, 
Another one that I got on here is a, a kind of like a, a race squadron as a series, the X-Wing books. Uh, I, I really enjoyed the first one where Wedge, you know, he sets up his group of commandos that are more, you know, commando-esque and less pilots first, kind of opposite of what Rogue Squadron was. And when they go out and they steal the Hammerhead Corvette, uh, the Carillion Corvette, and they convert it, the way they converted it, I have always wanted to see that ship come back because it was written, Alston wrote it so well that I wanted that ship. I was just like, oh my God, that is so cool. Like the way that they... The way they took the ship over, the way that they sent Piggy in inside like this crate and and he ended up taking over the ship, killing the captain and and then what the, the modifications that, that Kel and uh, the other the Verpin did to the entire thing and how they built racks for uh, X-Wings inside the shuttle bay so they could fit all the X-Wings in. They converted the, uh, the escape pods so TIE fighters could launch from them. <laughs> it was it was a clever book. And then, you know, it introduced a lot of really fun characters like uh, Ton Plan and uh, uh, Garrick the Face Loran. And which gets me to my other book in this series that I love the most is Iron Fist, where we see the death of Ton. And it, it is a great character building moment for Face, because at this point, Face has got a huge scar that he got from Rebel agents back when he was a child actor filming propaganda films for the empire so the rebellion their strikeout against the empire was to attack him and deform him and so he kept the scar as this way of punishing himself and so ton is a character that couldn't be in bakta uh he's a doctor and of course the funny part is is he's allergic to bakta so he's half cyborg already he ends up getting hit in a way that he's going to die and he's sitting there in Faces, arms, they're looking up, and I and I have a model of a star destroyer. And every time I look at it from the bottom, I always imagine, you know, that must be what Ton was looking at, you know, seeing the Iron Fist up above. And he's telling Face about the fact that you know you need to let go and and move on uh, with with your scar and and the foibles you have and all the insecurities you have built around it. And he made Face promise him that he would remove the scar and that he would move beyond it. And and. It was one of those moments where, you know, yeah, Ton died and it, it was a sad death for Ton, but it served for Face as a, I don't know, a, a springboard into greatness. I mean, from that moment on for him, he significantly changes and, you know, he gets his stuff together. He becomes more of a leader. Uh, he takes on a, a leader role. He ends up later becoming in charge of Race Squadron, becoming basically the new Wedge. And for me, it all goes back to that moment where Ton really snapped him out of it. And it was just a, a very powerful scene in a great series. I mean, you know, the race squadron is half of the X-Wing series. In the other half, you got Karan Horn and, and Gavin Darklighter and a lot of really cool characters there as well. Great series. I love that series. It was something different. And yet it still had that, that taste of Star Wars. Yeah, the Wraith books are very high up there for me as well. I didn't happen to put them on this particular 10 but yeah, the Race Squadron books were great, very funny. I mean, really good, action-oriented. You cared about the characters, especially, you know, the death scene, of course, for Ton Fanon. Um, but very funny. In fact, one of the Star Wars books that I would put on my list of maybe a top 15 or top 20 that didn't make this particular list is Starfighters of a Dumar. That's a story that oh, affects yeah. nothing. Nothing! But it's one of the funniest, most amusing Star Wars novels to read out there. Uh, right down to the point where, was it Wes or Hobby? One of them gets to that point where they're just like, you know, I'm sick hobby. of all, yeah, yeah, the hobby with the whole, I'm sick of all this, you know, bow, and we're going to be nice to each other before we kill each other. Hell with it, I just want to kill something. And it just, you know, just the, the level of 
you know, by that point, we know the characters, we know their personalities, and he sort of gets into their heads again and gives us something that is completely throwaway. And yet, funny to the point where I think it's a must-read for Star Wars fans. It's one of the few things when I do that episode on From the Star Wars Library where I'm probably going to have to label it as something that is a must-read, even though it is not a continuity must-read, because it's just that good of a book. Yeah. Speaking of stuff that's... uh. Not necessary for continuity, but that is really good. This one might surprise some folks. The last one on my list uh, for stuff that is really good in Star Wars to check out uh, is the concept of Star Wars Infinities. Now, I don't mean this in the way that it was misused for so long. There was this whole idea of we'll tell some stories that are in continuity and some stories that aren't. We'll have sort of a list of which are, which aren't. Before they called it in canon, it was just apocryphal stuff. And then later they were like, well, we came up with this idea for a symbol called infinities. The idea that we could tell stories that are of infinite possibilities. They are not necessarily in-universe. And they slapped it retroactively on some previous stuff, which, when you buy it, doesn't have the symbol on it, obviously, which confused a lot of people. They used it to refer to a comic series and to refer to just uh, that sort of broad category. They slapped it completely onto Tales when it wasn't meant for all stories and Tales to be out of continuity. They misused the symbol and the concept over and over and over again. I'm kind of glad that they haven't used the symbol all that much lately. Um, they just got the in-canon designation, and they've mostly just, just left it at that. But the one way in which they use the Infinities concept really, really well, in fact, one of the more interesting sets of stories I've seen in Star Wars in a long time, was the Star Wars Infinities, A New Hope, Infinities, The Empire Strikes Back, and Infinities, Return of the Jedi comic series. Actual, straight-up Star Wars what-if stories. The first one is basically, what if Luke's proton torpedo was a dud, or detonated too early, and didn't wind up destroying the Death Star in A New Hope when it did? Uh, in The Empire Strikes Back, it's a little bit harder to tell what on earth it is that it's saying, but it's basically, what if Luke was injured worse than we realized by the, the Wampa, so he winds up dying prior to Han being able to find him in The Empire Strikes Back. What if he falls one, too early? That one's my favorite. My wife actually made me a hand-painted uh, cover of that, where it's got Luke in the Dagobah cave, and he's got the lightsaber held up, and the Vader ghost behind him is sweeping through it. I love that one. And the concept of Leia being the Jedi was just so mind-boggling. Right, and then Return of the Jedi is basically a... You, it's more or less sort of a what if um, Han hadn't been thawed out of carbonite when he did. Uh, that 3PO getting smacked by Jabba causes him to fall apart, and then the negotiations fall apart. They have to escape, um, and, and where it goes from there. They all take sort of a logical trip through what could have happened within the Star Wars saga, and we get those very different ways of going about it. Uh, uh, you have a very different way that things play out for A New Hope, for instance, uh, uh, with the whole sort of destruction of the Death Star being down to Yoda, basically. We've got uh, the Empire Strikes Back. Leia was the one who trains as a Jedi. And it's Leia versus Vader, and we see um, more of Hayden Christensen underneath. And then Return of the Jedi, you know, we've got uh, the whole issue of the white redeemed Vader, uh, where Leia is the dark side one versus Luke, and together they wind up redeeming the father, and so on and so on. It's it's such a cool way of telling stories that are unusual. It's like doing a reboot without doing a reboot. And I actually kind of wish they would do that more with Star Wars and have more opportunities for that. Though I guess um, it's not something where they feel like it's, I don't know if it's, a, it's, if it's the profit angle or, or what with Star Wars that they don't do. Because Marvel Comics did a great job with that with What If. 
and they would use specific story points in recent stories or yep. interesting big name stories and turn that into a what if series. DC did it with Elseworlds, but in those cases it was usually more broad. It wasn't one specific event that changed in some other comic. One of my favorites was uh, what if Kal-El, of course, the last son of Krypton that becomes Clark Kent slash Superman, what if instead of him crashing into a field in Smallville and being raised by the Kents, what if he oh, yeah. crashed down and was found by Bruce Wayne's family before Bruce Wayne was born? So they don't have a kid Bruce Wayne of their own. They raise him as the child that they know of as Bruce. And you wind up essentially with the events of Batman's life happening but to someone with Superman's powers, and you get this story called Superman's Speeding Bullets. And it takes a while for him to sort of be be uh, taken out of the darkness. And I mean, it's such a terrific story, such a bizarre tale, and yet it works perfectly by revamping some part of the mm -hmm. origin story and seeing what happens. That's what Infinities did for Star Wars when it was done right. And yet, about the only time we've ever seen it. I really hope they go back to that well again, though, by, for all intents and purposes, it seems like Infinities, as a what-if concept, seems to be dead within Star mm. Wars right now. It's When they do use it, it's used for that in-canon, non-continuity stuff, and that's it. And, and that saddens me, because my first comic series I ever collected wasn't Spider-Man. It was actually the what-if lines. Uh, what Some of my favorite ones were like, what if the Fantastic Four all had each other's powers? Or what if Venom possessed the Punisher? And things like that. You know, Really great twists on, on the story. When the Infinities came out, you know, and I, and I still say they could go back and, and, you know, say, say Empire Strikes Back one, give us more as to what Leia did after Luke was dead. I mean, because the Return of the Jedi did not pick up from that one. Each one was its own little self universe and you just had that one window into it. I'd love to see him come back and, and, you know, with each one of those, give us a trilogy of books that all tied into that one, you know, so instead of having a new hope, a separate one that was for Empire Strikes Back and a separate one for Return. Each one of the ones that we've already got, they would give us a new new hope for each of them and a new, you know, of the other ones. And then go back and give us prequel ones, too. Like, God, that would be so much fun to do. I and I, Yeah, it's got to be a marketing thing because I can't imagine why you wouldn't do that. All right, so for me, that wraps up my list. Do you have anything else on yours? Luckily, mine are uh, a couple small things. The uh, main things here were more events in series that I really enjoyed. Uh, the Republic comic line. Uh, there was the Battle of Jabin with young Anakin, uh, where Obi-Wan gets captured. He gets put in a Sith mask that stops him from being able to reach out with the Force and everything. Everyone thinks he's dead. Anakin is kind of in charge of a whole bunch of Padawans on the planet. And Palpatine says, uh, I need you. You need to withdraw and you need to leave everyone else behind. And Anakin had to, you know suck it up and and leave everyone to die uh it was a really really uh dark comic dark point in that series but it was also a a challenge for anakin you know it was a, a moment where he had to decide what do i do do i listen to the chancellor or do i do what i think is right uh and he listened to the chancellor that's what he thought was right and for what it's worth that actually ties into what we talked about recently with my brother my enemy and such because it's the events on jabim that set that in motion in empire and rebellion which go back to in the sins of the fathers um, or in the shadow of our fathers, I guess it was. Uh, I'm getting that confused with the uh, Star Trek, the Next Generation episode, I suppose. Um, that ties back into the Jabim stuff in seeing what happens when Luke and the Rebels wind up on Jabim later. So yeah, the Jabim stuff was very impactful. Unfortunately, who knows, you know, what's still going to exist from it when the Clone War stuff all finally pans out. Yeah, that that's a little scary. Uh, the other one was the Battle of, and I'm going to say it wrong, Seleucicrum. Uh that, so Luke, you're talking about Seleucami, the one that's... Yes! Yeah. Yes, Seleucami. Okay, that was a really interesting battle 
we have, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, it's uh, Nikto are being cloned uh, to create an, a separatist army of clones. And we have uh, Kukruk. He's rejoined the Jedi again uh, from Mace Windu. He talked him into coming back to the Order. So he's there. He's fighting with Ashrard Head and a whole bunch of other Jedi. And it, it's just, I, I love all the scenery of that battle. Uh, the fact that those two are fighting together side by side. Again, that made me, when I was reading Legacy, think, you know, hey, Kukruk might be the one to take down Het. I just, I liked it all the way around. It was a lot of really cool imagery. The battle was cool. I liked the concept. Um, I have not, not much more to go on about that. All right, and the next one is KOTOR. Okay, I love that comic series, but my favorite part was the reveal of Demigol at the end. Uh, if you were paying attention, you realized that, uh, oh, what was his name? And I had it a second ago. <sighs> not Rand. What the heck was his name? Uh, Roland, oh, Roland Dyer. Roland. Roland, ah, yes. Yeah, I, I mean, if you're paying attention, you would notice something happened to Roland Dyer earlier on in the series. And a lot of people, uh, maybe I'm giving a lot of people more credit than they deserve, but a lot of people figured it out way before I did. I did not see it coming until dang near the issue that came out and flat out told you. I was like, whoa, really? Uh, everything about that character, uh, by the time it all got told at the end, it, it felt like a really cool, well-kept secret, even though... The seeds were there from the start if you were paying attention. Kind of kind of like what Legacy did with, with Krayat. Like if you were really paying attention, you could probably start to figure out the chin tattoos and things like that. But with this one, it was a little more obvious and a little more subtle at the same time. I mean, John Jackson Miller has always had an ability to encapsulate things in mystery and then deliver on the mystery in that book. Yeah, the KOTOR series was a very good one. I, I must say, though, to me, the high point was Vindication. It was, you know, when everything kind of came together for the first uh, many, many, many story arcs and such. It kind of felt like the ending stuff with Demigol and the whole, oh, hey, look, we pulled a switcheroo on you with the characters. It really didn't quite work as well for me as that first set of arcs. It felt like it was kind of stretching the premise a little bit in order to keep the series going after the point where it naturally should have ended. I mean, that's, that's one of the things that we see a lot with, uh, I think, ongoing comic series and ongoing television series and anything else, where if something is profitable enough to keep going... Even if there's an end point of the storytelling in mind, it might be a, oh, well, that's not an end point. We're just going to make that a point where things kind of change a little bit because we want to keep going because this is selling well or getting good ratings, et cetera, et cetera. So, so yeah, I like it, and it was an interesting twist, but that to me wasn't the high point of that series, per se. And my last one, and I have almost all of it, is both The Jedi Path and The Book of Sith. Uh, I have The Jedi Path. I got the Vault Edition of that. Uh, my son has the Sith Holocron. We do not have the book yet. I plan on getting the book here shortly, but uh, that's that's just where we sit there. You know, a friend was able to send me the Holocron that he had extra that wasn't working, and I was like, hey, my son could use it as, as a Holocron just to have, you know? And then we got it, and he wanted to put his diary in it, and of course the thing didn't work, but I noticed that it was just had a broken lead, so we went in and soldered it, and oh, lo and behold, the whole thing works now, so now I just got to buy a $14 book. So that's cool. But the thing I like the most about it, though, is that it is an in-universe point of view. It is supposed to be the very few items that you are ever going to get that came from the galaxy far, far away. That immersion aspect of it, the, the Jedi credit and stuff like that, uh, I just absolutely love. Uh, the Sith holocron comes with a Sith crystal for a lightsaber and some amulet. Um, the Jedi one came with a whole bunch of little goodies. You had Obi-Wan's little sketch of a lightsaber on a napkin from Dex's diner. You had Anakin's Padawan parade. There were little notes in there from Luke, Ahsoka, Anakin, even Darth Sidious. 
uh, Yoda, some Dooku and older masters and stuff like that. Really cool. Gave you the inside view. It's kind of like the textbook of the Jedi Order. The Book of Sith one I don't have yet, but I want that one so bad because of the same aspects from the dark side point of view. It's really cool to have the little objects that open up and, and raise your book up and stuff like that. It's gimmicky. You don't need it. You could save yourself a heck of a lot of money and get just the $14 book by itself, but it is fun. Yeah, I really enjoy both of those. Uh, yeah, they got those kind of cool uh, vault-type things that go with them that make them much, 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 much more expensive. And, you know, it's cool, but I could have taken or leaving it, and it wouldn't have made a big difference to me because what I'm interested in is the content of the book, not the little doodads that go with it. But it certainly made it a cool presentation. And the books themselves added a lot of cool insights into the Jedi and Sith philosophies. Um, I like the fact that essentially the Jedi one is a, is a textbook that's been passed from character to character to character, whereas the the Book of Sith is kind of more of a collection of bits of other writings that get combined together and then passed between students as things get added and tweaked and such as it goes along. Um, I must say, though, one of the things that kind of bothers me about it, as cool as they are, and as cool as it is, that those who don't want to pay the hefty price and get all the doodads with it can just get the regular books. Um, there is an ebook version of this that you have to buy again if you want to get everything. Because when they put out the Jedi Path for ebook, the regular ebook versions for most platforms were just the content of the regular book. But on the iPad, through the iBooks app, there's an enhanced version that has all kinds of extra stuff in it. And I've got that what? on my iPad, but I haven't gone through and actually dug in to figure out what new stuff is there, what new stuff isn't. But yeah, they added a whole bunch of new interesting stuff into the iBooks version that caused a lot of people to be a little bit frustrated by the fact that, A, it wasn't on the other platforms, but, you know, like a regular Nook or a regular Kindle can't do what the iPad can do with iBooks. It's just not technologically possible. And the fact that, yes, it was a hey, here's a few other new things out of this, now go ahead and buy it all over again type of thing. Obviously, there's no way to easily connect that back and say, okay, well, if you got the previous books, here's a discount or something. Um, but yeah, once again, we were repurchasing something to get some new content. Although, uh, I've yet to be able to determine if that new content was fully worth it, because it makes me think back. Uh, Dan Wallace usually is, is really good about putting in a lot of detail and stuff that doesn't wind up with another edition with extra stuff. But it reminds me of Star Wars year by year. They got, what, like one new two-page spread, and it was put out as a new edition. I'm not buying that new edition. I don't need to pay it all over again for two pages. Well, and then on the other side of that, I want those two pages, but I don't want to have to go out and buy an iPad just to get it. God, that just irks me when they do that. Oh, well, I guess that about wraps up this episode of Star Wars Beyond the Films. Thank you again for hanging around with us as we ponder on sharing the fandom. Remember, you can always listen to our episodes streaming online at the Star Wars Report website, www.starwarsreport.com. Episodes are also available on iTunes, which we encourage you to leave us a review while you're at it. You can also find links to our episodes on both Twitter and our Facebook page at SWBeyondFilms. Or just type in Stars Beyond the Films in the search bar. Hey, but no matter how you get there, be sure to like our page. It's one of the best ways to interact with us. We are 1,200 Beyonders strong and growing. That's because you hit like. Thank you, guys. Not only can you post comments to us about the show on our Facebook page, we love interacting with you fellow fans. So if you have any Star Wars and or EU questions, or you just want to comment about a past episode, fire off. 
You can email us directly at swbeyondfilms at starwarsfanworks.com. Now, lastly, before we go, we wanted to mention you again our Audible trial. If you go to www.audibletrial.com slash Report, you get a free trial run of audible.com to see what they're all about. With more than 100,000 titles, you can explore the Star Wars Expanded Universe or any other genre without risk of being stuck with a book you do not like. Audible members can exchange any book within 12 months, no questions asked. So in this digital age, if you're thinking of making the switch from the page to the screen or adding a digital library to your physical one, Audible just might be right for you. So, once again, for Star Wars Beyond the Films, this has been Mark and Whistler. And Nathan. Saying, may the force be with you. And don't quote us the odds of how many people are going to go to facebook.com slash swtimelinegold and like that page too. We're falling behind, folks. Come on. I don't know. I don't know what's going on. What are the odds that we were going to leap ahead so fast in so little time? I'm just, I'm blown away. You Beyonders make this possible, and that, we salute you.